Good evening, and welcome to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm author and host Kevin Hopkins, and this is episode 154. Uh, We are continuing to walk through the Gospel of John. We've been in kind of particularly dense section here, the last half of chapter 12. And so, though our lesson really kind of starts in 1234, I'm going to back up a little bit to verse 30 so that we get the context. So this begins in John chapter 12, verse 30. If you've listened to the previous episode, just bear with me and we'll get where we're headed. Jesus responded, The voice you just heard was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So Jesus is talking about the kind of death he's going to die. That like the snake on the pole, the caduceus was lifted up in the desert to drive away the snakes, the demonic spirits is is the representation there. So Jesus will be raised up on a cross, arms spread to drive out, to defeat once and for all the offspring, the seed of the original snake in the garden. So he's going to win the ultimate victory over the seed of the serpent because he is the seed of the woman who finally puts his heel on the servant's head. So there's a little piece I didn't give you in the last episode that I do want you to have. So then the crowd says, The crowd spoke up, verse 34. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You will have the light just a little longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark doesn't know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he'd finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet who said, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe because Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders, did believe in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be excluded from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Ultimately, Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me would stay in darkness. 
If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn him on the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So this entire section is really about authority. Which authority do you believe? Where do you get your light? I deal with people every day who email me, message me, send me links, send me information, want me to jump on their bandwagon. And, and it is an entire spectrum of information you would not believe. This week I have gotten, um, I've gotten a clip about Bigfoot. I've gotten a podcast about little people. I've gotten a podcast about uh, transhumanism where humans and machines are slowly joining until in the year 2045, they will be one and the same. We will be these kind of cybernetic, part machine, part human beings. I get UFO stuff. I get, I still get vaccine information and conspiracy theories about who plotted to reduce the world's population for means of control. I get stuff about Joe Biden being the Antichrist. I get so many pieces of information thrown at me and everybody wants to know, what do you think? Could this be true? Could this be real? Could this be right? Folks, in my book, I said, when you deal from the perspective of could it be, anything could be. Joe Biden could be a reptilian hiding out in human form. Could be. Anything could be. Hillary Clinton could be a gray alien hiding in female skin. Could be. They could all be demons in Washington, D.C. Could be. When you deal in the realm of what could be, might be, is it possible? Anything is possible. You're talking about a world that we honestly know very little about. And once you start to talk about spiritual things, we know a whole lot less. The question of authority becomes paramount. From where do you get your light? From what source do you get your light, your true revelation? From where do you get the revealing of God and the truth of God? And that's what Jesus is talking to these people about right here. You know that that's his issue when their question is, but we've heard from the law about the Messiah. Now think about it. The law is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. There is really no prophetic message about the Messiah 
in the law. They've either been mistaught or are very confused or we don't know the first thing about the first five books of the Bible. From our perspective, can you find prototypes of Jesus in the first five books of the Bible? Absolutely. Adam, Noah, Moses, Abraham. Yes, the prototypes of Jesus are throughout the book of Genesis. But are they prophetic about a Messiah who would live forever? There's nothing like that in the law. They're either making it up or they've been horribly mistaught about the Messiah, which explains why they didn't recognize Jesus when he came. He came as the real Messiah, and they had these these folk legends about what the Messiah was going to be that came from people's imaginations, not the law. They had this imaginative narrative about how the future would play out, just like we have an imaginative narrative about the end times that has nothing really to do with real scripture. It's what Hal Lindsey wrote in the 70s. It's what the guys wrote when they put together the Left Behind series. It's what people have portrayed in movies and on television, but it's really not the Bible. And so in my book, when I got down to what the book of Revelation really says, I got all kinds of pushback. This isn't what we've always been taught. This isn't what we've always been told. It's not. It's just the Bible. If you can prove me wrong from the Bible, then jump on it. Because if you can prove my ideas and my writing wrong from Scripture, then I'll print a retraction and admit that I'm wrong. But if you're taking outside sources and people who've tied Daniel and Zechariah and Revelation and Ezekiel all together to make up, different things and then project them as biblical. You're on the wrong track, friend. You're not walking in the light. You're walking in someone's reflection of the light. You're walking in someone else's version of the light. And that's not the light. And so Jesus really cues in on revelation. Where are you getting your light? You only have me with you for a little bit longer. And then the darkness is coming. Walk in the light while you have the light. The voice came from heaven and said, I've glorified my name and will glorify it more again. The crowd doesn't understand the voice. They think it's thunder. They think an angel has spoken to Jesus. Jesus says, this voice was for your benefit, not for mine. And yet it was an encouragement of Jesus. And if it was for their benefit, they missed it. They didn't understand it. The light shone down on them. God spoke himself and they didn't understand. It isn't so much a statement about Jesus or God. It's a statement about the darkness these people are living in. The fact that God himself can speak and they don't get it. And I look at my world today and I have to ask, if God himself spoke from heaven, how many among my fellow citizens on this planet are ready to hear his voice? 
are tuned to hear what he says. How many are listening? He tells them the kind of death he's going to die. That like the snake on the pole, he's going to be lifted up, but he's going to have a more permanent effect. That snake drove out the snakes. He's going to break the snake's neck. He's going to kill the father of all snakes and make him toothless and ineffective. Take away every bit of his power so that unless someone abdicates their authority to him, he has no power over them. They can resist the old serpent and he will have to flee like the serpents fled in the desert. See? But he's told the story about unless a kernel of wheat dies, falls to the ground and dies, it remains one. But if it dies, it gives up its life. It springs a new plant to life that, that will bear hundreds of kernels. That's what I'm going to do. He told them he's going to die. They get that much. But they thought he was the Messiah. And so they're hung up now. Wait, we thought you were the Messiah. And we heard from the law, which they didn't hear from the law. They heard it from legend and, and fairy tale. We heard that the Messiah was going to live forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? They're not asking who's the Son of Man. They're asking who is this Son of Man that you're talking about that's going to die because our Messiah is not going to die. They don't get it. See, the Johannine confusion. Wait, you just said you're going to die. We thought you were the Messiah, but we've always been taught that the Messiah is not going to die. They didn't read Isaiah. They, they, they weren't taught properly. They were looking for a military Messiah, a geopolitical Messiah, one who would come back and, and with bolts of lightning burn Rome to the, to the ground zap every Roman soldier and every Roman authority that was occupying Palestine at the time and restore Israel to her rightful place as a nation, as the leader among nations, which they, if they were, it was only for a very, very short time. But they want the glory days back. Make Israel great again. That's their, their, their blue hat with the, with the printing on it. M-I-G-A. They were Migas. Make Israel great again. That's what they wanted from their Messiah, was to have the power back, not the presence. They wanted the power. They didn't care about his presence. Jesus said, you're only going to have the light a little while longer. You better walk while you have the light, before darkness overtakes you. Because whoever walks in the dark doesn't know where they're going. Believe now in the light while you still have the light, so that you may become children of light. If there's a word repeated in a sentence in Scripture once, it's, it's important. If it's repeated several times, if it's repeated four or five times in two paragraphs, uh... That's a theme. And light is a theme in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. 
by him all things were made. Apart from him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines and continuously shines through the darkness, and the darkness has never been able to comprehend it or overcome it. From the first verses of John's Gospel, he wanted you to know that this is going to be a story of the division between light and darkness, that in him there is no darkness whatsoever. There's no shadow, there's no shade, there's no gray. It's all light or none. Jesus is all light. He is all authority. He is all revelation from the Father. In the book of Revelation, John says, when Christ reigns, there will be no need for a sun, S-U-N, because the glory of the Lord will be their light. See, it's a common theme all the way through John's writings. The difference between light and dark, the war between light and darkness. The darkness seeks to overwhelm and surround us, but the light shines and continuously shines, and it isn't impeded in any way. It isn't infringed upon in any way by the darkness. It is pure light. When he finished speaking, he leaves and he hides himself from them. He's putting off the inevitable a little bit longer. And then this, this kind of ribbon at the end of John chapter 12, this, this bow at the end of the story, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, so many miracles, they still refused to believe in him. It isn't that they simply did not, it's that they would not. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, who said, who's believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Well, it's been revealed to the very people who don't believe. And John says, for this reason, they couldn't believe. Because as Isaiah says again, he, God, has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, repent, and I would heal them. They can't. It's really an interesting idea, isn't it? That God would would intentionally darken some people's hearts. And yet it's one of the oldest thoughts in the Bible. Look at the plagues on Egypt. And for a while it says, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then it changes to, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It isn't, it isn't that God just turned him to stone. It's that God let him go on the path he was going. God stopped trying to convince Pharaoh. God stopped trying to, to, to save Pharaoh in the process. God realized that Pharaoh was a lost cause and let him go his way. Paul says that at some point, God gives up and lets people, surrenders people to their own reprobate minds. They're so hard, they're not going to listen. The idea is that there's a time, and there always has been, throughout Scripture you can find that there's always a time when God's patience runs out. You you look at, at Israel, and coming out of Egypt, how many times 
they whine, they complain. They say, oh, let's go back to Egypt and die there. Were there not enough graves in Egypt so you brought us out here to die? Over and over and over, they worship idols. And God opens up the earth and swallows up a bunch of them. They, they continually transgress. They continually are faithless. They get to the border of the promised land. They can see it. And they come back with a bad report and, and discourage Israel from going in. God says, fine, go wander in the desert for 40 more years. But he brings them back. God's patience is long. Longer than mine. But in about 600 before Christ, God's patience runs out. And he, and he lets Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians come and smash Jerusalem. And in the book of Ezekiel, you see this picture of the Spirit of God leaving the temple and tarrying for a moment on top of the Mount of Olives and looking back at, at Jerusalem like, I tried everything I knew. And you have chosen this path. And, and the book of Ezekiel says he takes off in his chariot of fire and he goes over to the remnant that's in Babylon and he hangs out with them while Jerusalem is, is smashed into rubble. God's patience runs out eventually. It's the story of the end of the world. Why does God wait? Because he's patient. He's giving you and I more time to share the gospel. He's giving people in the dark time to find the light. If he tarries another day, it's only out of mercy and grace. But there will come a time, the Bible promises us, when God's mercy runs out, when God's grace is exhausted, when there really is a point of no return for this world and for you and me. We're going we're gonna to cover the solution to that as we go through the Gospel of John. But right here, he hides himself from them. And then John reminds them that God's patience isn't forever. God's patience eventually runs out. You need the light and you need it now. Isaiah said these things because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Now, John says that. Isaiah didn't say that. He didn't know it was Jesus. He was seeing. He knew it was the glory of heaven. John's telling you, all along, that was the glory of Jesus. At the same time this was all going on, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, because of that sect that controlled the political entity of the temple and ruled it and told you what tax you had to pay to be part of it and what sacrifice you had to give to stay within their graces. The controllers of the narrative, the controllers of religion, the controllers of, of access to God had threatened people that they would be disassociated from God if they spoke about Jesus. They would not be allowed to offer sacrifice. They would not be allowed access to the priests who could proclaim them clean. They would be put out of membership in the club called the synagogue. And those people 
obliged the Pharisees because they loved human praise more than praise from God. And there are a few exceptions. The man whose eyes were opened, who'd been born blind, he stands before the Pharisees and says, I told you once how it happened. Why do you ask me again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Oh, they get infuriated. And they throw him out, threw him out of the synagogue. And Jesus finds him and says, heard you got thrown out. He's like, yep, don't know what I'd do now. Jesus says, worship the Lord. He says, show me the Lord and I will. He says, you're looking at him. Couldn't have looked at him a couple hours ago, but now you can and you are. Man worships Christ. Jesus says, now go, go. Don't sin anymore. Something worse might happen to you. (laughs) John ends the 12th chapter with Jesus crying out. Now, if we take this chronologically, Jesus is away from the crowd when he cries this out. He's out. The, The word literally means grieving. He's grieving over the fact that they're not getting it. And he, re- he reestablishes, he reasserts the authority by which he does everything that he does. Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I don't judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. Jesus restates that almost word for word. I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn him at the end. There is a judge. My word is the judge. Wait a minute. He doesn't describe the power to judge to God, which God has. He doesn't even claim here, as he does other places, that all authority to judge heaven and earth has been granted to him, which it has. But he doesn't claim that role here. He says, I wish they could understand. I'm not going to judge them. But my word is going to judge them. The light that they have been able to walk in, that they had the chance to know, the light they actively rejected is going to be their judge. Wow. How much light do we have in this culture? How many times is the gospel preached, proclaimed, spoken? How many of our stories are based on the gospel story itself? I mean, if you watched Harry Potter, the boy who came to die, and he died so that his friends could go free from the curse, and then he returned from the dead, right? 
That's our story. And so many, every one of the Marvel stories is our story retold with superheroes instead of Jesus. But it's the same story. People have had access to the story of God's grace and redemption for 2,000 years. And now it gets told in so many different ways by so many different sources that no one has an excuse to not have responded to that story, to not have dug a little bit deeper and said, wait a minute, this story about Harry Potter is the story about Jesus. It's not a fantasy story. It's the truth. It's an allegory. Like C.S. Lewis. Like J.R.R. Tolkien. They're allegories that share the truth of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness on this earth. But even if you didn't listen to those authorities, how much, how much access is there to the Bible, to, to authorities, to commentaries, to preachers throughout history? I mean, if you wanted to, you could find a source by which to listen to the spoken words. It's not him speaking them, but you could listen to all the sermons of John Wesley. You could listen to all the sermons of Charles Spurgeon. Those sources are out there now. We have access to all the words that have ever been spoken about God from the beginning of time. We have access to what the Sumerians believed about God, the Akkadians believed about God. We have access to what the most ancient cultures believed about their deities, the stories that they told, the epochs that they wrote, the myths that they spun. We have access to all the information about God throughout all of history right now at our fingertips. There is more light shining into this world than there ever has been, and yet there are people who will not see it. And Jesus says, I won't be your judge. But that light that you had and refused, that will be your judge. My words will be your judge because I didn't speak on my own. But the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I've said. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Why? To lead you to eternal life. That eternal life that was lost in the garden when the serpent deceived the woman and she sinned and her husband sinned and sin meant that they had to be put one step removed from the presence of God. Removed from the garden in which there was a tree of life from which they could eat and it would sustain them eternally. Now, they can't have access to that fruit anymore. The broken relationship of sin meant that death would come. And the more wicked men got, the more God shortened that span. And the, and the Lord said to himself, I will not contend with man forever. From now on, his days will be. And he sets a limit. 
and then he then he sets another limit, three score and ten. It gets shorter and shorter because God doesn't want people to have so much time to do wrong. Their life has to get shorter so that they don't have time to screw it up so bad. He's trying to find ways to save them, to preserve them perhaps until there's a Messiah. I think God always knew there would have to be a Messiah. And so the whole Old Testament is the story of God trying to get a remnant of people through to that moment, which John's going to tell us about, which you and I have benefited from. Which, if you're a Christian listening to this, you've partaken of. You have eaten of the tree of life. You have tasted, the Bible says, the things of the age to come. You have not only sampled eternal life, you have become a recipient of it. Still living this one, still still here on this earth, you'll still live this temporal existence for a little while longer, but you are already an eternal citizen. And the Bible says that those who are in Christ will not even taste death. That ought to bless your heart. We'll talk about it more as we go. But today, I want to encourage you to walk in the light. Walk in the light that you have. Live in the light that you know. If you've, if you've strayed from it slightly or greatly, Turn back to it. Maybe your church or your denomination is confusing. And maybe they're just wrong. Maybe they have failed to shine light to you. And what they've given you is, is legalism and, and their own commandment and their own form and their own methods. Maybe what they've given you isn't the joy and the mercy and grace that you've been looking for. I understand that. But God offers you absolute forgiveness, absolute mercy, uninterrupted and unmitigated grace, and the light to walk in his love and his guidance every day until this life is over and then for eternity. If you're a person with the instincts to come to God, do that. And then worry about finding a church that's somewhere close. I've been a a leader of the church most of my life. And I promise you, there isn't such thing as a perfect organization. Because they're all made up of people. And every person has a different idea of what the truth looks like. And the legalistic ones, the condemnational ones... The really judgmental ones have a way of screaming the loudest. That's not God. Those people are not God, and they don't represent him. No matter how hard they bluster, listen for the voices of grace. In your community, in your church, at your workplace, listen to the voices of mercy and grace. Those people, those people represent God. And this week, 
I challenge you to be one of those people. In your workplace, in your church, in your family, you be the voice of overwhelming mercy and unending grace.